0: All right, well, let's go ahead and start with our scripture reading that can be found on the inside of your bulletin. This is Luke seven seventeen through 28. If you'll remember, Jesus is just uh, 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 the widow at Nain, uh, whose son died, and Jesus has healed him. He has risen from the dead. He's brought him back to life. And now we move to this next section. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to John, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, and yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The word of the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about prison today. And for some of you, it may be a very familiar place, having spent time in the big house. Uh, it is true that your pastor has spent a little bit of time uh, in jail. I was imprisoned unjustly uh, in youth ministry, upholding a bus, a youth ministry bus with Young Life, with a steak knife and a uh, ski mask. Can you imagine the pain and frustration and wrongness of that? Uh, Nevertheless I was freed and here I am with you a changed man today. Although my story is somewhat humorous the reality is prison and imprisonment and persecution of Christians is a fact of life and a epidemic around the world. Let me give you an example. This is Saeed Abededi who is an Iranian-American missionary who went to Iran to spread the gospel of Christ. Although it Officially allows for the freedom for Christians and Jews, it officially bans proselytizing and other forms of missionary work. It also bans uh, apostatizing, which means leaving your Muslim faith to become a Christian. Well, Saeed, who was a Muslim but converted uh, from Islam to Christianity, went to share the gospel in Iran. And he was arrested and he was thrown, uh, he had uh, given a sentence of eight years in prison he was thrown in a notorious prison and recently even moved to a more violent prison where a lot of ISIS militants are also the worst of the worst. And needless to say they have threatened Saeed. And indeed recently according to the American Center of Law and Justice he was viciously beaten by his fellow prisoners while the Iranians did little to intervene until they thought his life was in danger. You can imagine the perspective of uh, Saeed's wife and two little children as they uh, uh, experience life without their husband. What the life is like maybe for Saeed as he's in there. Maybe there are seeds of doubt and questioning, God, why am I here? Well, the list goes on and on of different missionaries who experience the same kind of troubles and problems. And John follows in a long line from the beginning of the Christian faith. John is in prison here. And John is struggling with the questions, why am I here? What's happening in my life? How could this occur? Where is Jesus and where is the kingdom? And John has this time of reflection where he's asking some questions. Who really is Jesus and why did he come? Those are some of the questions that maybe you and I ask in the quietness of the night or in the challenges of the difficulties in our life. And so we must stare at them and take them face on as John did. Because I think you will discover that Jesus and his mission are more than enough to help us as we walk through this life. Well, let's look at the first part. Where is John? John is in prison. In fact, he's in a specific prison called Makairos, which means sword, the sword. And it's Herod's most notorious prison. Remember, Herod, uh, John the Baptist, rebuked Herod for having Herodias, his brother's wife, taking her as his wife. And so he's been thrown into this prison. It's actually kind of like Masada. You sort of go in and you never come out uh, for prisoners. Now, you remember John's ministry as he came baptizing in the Jordan. He was a thunderous prophet in the, in the same mold as the older prophets. He was thundering out the need for repentance and righteousness. He was calling out the Pharisees. He was saying that you're living in wickedness. Repent because the kingdom is coming. And indeed he said that one would be coming whose laces of his sandals he wasn't worthy to untie. The one who was before me who is greater than me because he's always been who would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John had given this message and lo and behold his call for righteousness had thrown him in jail. John has probably been there about 12 to 16 months. And imagine how John is doing. He's Probably in a dark cell. Might be in solitary confinement. And he's left alone with his thoughts. He's lonely. He's angry maybe. He's impatient. God, when are you going to come and rescue me from my circumstances? You are here, at least I think you are. When will the kingdom come and this evil be overturned? When will I be set free? And lo and behold, he's listening for every update on what's going on with Jesus, and he gets one from his disciples. Something has happened. Jesus has healed someone, raised them from the dead at Nain. And so, John, you would think his anticipated response is, the kingdom is still working. God is still accomplishing his task. Praise him but his actual response was really quite different. Verse 19, he sent his disciples to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Should be different, shouldn't it? For some reason, this healing of this person at name, this this resurrection, excuse me, resuscitation, has sowed more doubt in John's mind than security. What sort of desperation draws a man to ask this kind of question? I mean, isn't this the very guy who God raised up to be the messenger? Who had come before? Remember when Jesus came in the womb of Mary? And John leaps in Elizabeth's womb, recognizing Him from even a young age. He baptized Jesus the first to recognize Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet here He is almost repudiating the very mission He was born for. You would think it's such an insult for Jesus to hear this from the most stalwart witness. Are you the one who is to come? Or is it somebody else? Why did John say such a thing? can only be one conclusion we draw that John is disappointed with Jesus' performance. He's disappointed with Jesus' performance. Remember John's ministry, that of an Old Testament prophet coming and proclaiming, declaring repent nation, nation you have sinned. Indeed his message was so powerful that it says the people from all over the country were coming to be baptized Rich and poor, religious and non-religious. He urged a national repentance and by His righteousness the entire religious establishment was rocked. And He heralded the coming of the Messiah, that the axe is at the root of the tree, that you must change. But as He hears about Jesus' ministry, He sees a different kind of ministry. Jesus is not drawing the same crowds in Judea by the Jordan. He certainly is in Galilee, but not around John. The very people that John was saying to repent and to live a life of righteousness, Jesus is going and having dinner with them. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, indeed, even some of the Pharisees. Jesus, in terms of the religious establishment, he's more of an annoyance than drawing them to repentance and his message has little to do with national reformation or politics. And so John is looking at Jesus' message and ministry and saying something is wrong here. You see John wants Jesus to continue his work, to take what he had started and to establish this kingdom on earth, this kingdom of righteousness. The disciples had the same understanding, didn't they? Remember Acts 1.8 when Jesus comes to them? Lord, at this time are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, this is not the time for you to know. The times for you to know have been from my Father, but you, you will receive power when, you come, when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. See, John was calling a return to repentance and righteousness back to the days of David, even a better David, when the kingdom was great and God was worshipped. But the reality is that kingdom never worked either, did it? David the great king, the murderer and the adulterer who didn't raise his son right, Absalom, What about Solomon? All the greatness of Israel where all of the countries would come. And yet Solomon fell as well. Now John wanted Jesus to continue the work but Jesus came not to extend that kingdom but to inaugurate a new one. And so Jesus communicates to John. John says are you the one? And it says in verse 21, At that very time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive light, a sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now this good news is preached to the poor. He's not talking about monetarily poor. He's talking about those who have a poverty of spirit. Remember, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's talking about good news being preached to those who are not content with this kingdom. They need a new kingdom, a new king, a new way of living. They don't need better advice. They need good news. And so, Jesus physically restores the marginalized, the forgotten, the lepers, the blind, the bottom of society. And this is the answer He gives to John. John, it's not about reformation. It's about transformation. It's not about getting your life and changing it and getting it all together. It's not about your life, it's about your heart. A change from the inside out, not from the outside in. John it's not at the end of the day about advice. Helping people know how to live, showing them the path. It's about good news. See John knew this message but in his darkness of the cell he forgot and he saw Jesus as a means to the end. But Jesus is the end. And so Jesus says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. For just a little while, Jesus has become a stumbling block for the very one who knew who he was. For John, just for a little bit, the kingdom is everything. But it's not about the kingdom, it's about the king. The problem is not out there in our society. The problem is here. We, at least me, are often like John. We look at the world. We look at the frustrations and the evil in it. We look at the problems in our life. And we say to Jesus, Make it all right. Bring your kingdom to bear upon all those who are oppressing me. I want heaven on earth. I thought if I followed you, all would be well. You know, I can see John the Baptist saying, You know, I didn't really see this working out this way. And yet, the one who loved Christ is in prison. God, order my kingdom, destroy my enemies. And yet, Jesus seems nowhere to be found. And we are prisoners in our own emotions and situations and difficulties, and we're mad. And we send not messengers, but prayers to heaven. Are you really the one who is to come? Or should I be praying to someone else? Some of you know of the difficulties that our own family has experienced. There is a darkness that has been in our time that we've had to go through. Some of you have as well in other ways. Maybe you are right now. But it's easy in the dark to wonder... Where this Savior is, to long for a kingdom, because we can't see the king. But you see, when we look at Jesus, there are only two ways to look at him. He is either the means to the end, or he is the end. If he's the means, then Jesus, you're supposed to, the end is my kingdom. The end is my welfare, the end is my being. You're the means to my end. Maybe your end is finally that this country would be restored. That we would follow in the path of righteousness set down by our forefathers. That we would live and be like the kingdom of God manifest here. And so Jesus, you are the means to that end. But if we look for Jesus to be the means to our end, the result will be darkness and loneliness and confusion. But if you look to Jesus as the end, life becomes a lot less about them and it becomes a lot more about me. It becomes a lot less about what are you going to do and a lot more about who you are and who I am in you. A lot less about reformation and a lot more about transformation. Jesus did not come simply to advise or simply accomplish. He came to give us life because He is the way, the truth, and the life. So you must not settle for anything less than God. Not a plan, not a method, not an end, but the one who made you. See, Jesus was with John in that prison. He was just blind to him for a little while because he was looking outside. Well, this brings me to another concept. If that's true, if that's Jesus' reason for coming, then what about this kingdom? What's it really like at the end of the day? Now think about how Jesus has described John. He's faithful. He was faithful to the cause. He was focused. You know, he was wearing the, the, the uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the skin clothes here of animal skin and a leather belt and eating locusts and honey. I bet locusts are not that good day after day. You know even in like a balsamic vinegar or something like that. I don't think so. John is focused. Indeed John is chosen. From 500 years ago in the book of Malachi, the very end. I will send my prophet, the one like Elijah, to come and proclaim. And Jesus says that he was great. I tell you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Think about that. He's the greatest ever. You know there are 108 billion people who have lived on the face of this earth? Think about some of the great people that have come up through the ranks of humanity. What about Gandhi, who led a peaceful revolt which overturned India? Mozart, the brilliant musical genius. Einstein, the great mind, unraveling the theory of relativity. Napoleon, the great conqueror. Lincoln, the great statesman. And John, who was all in, being the greatest. John, the righteous one. And yet we see that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. I think the best example we can find in the Bible of the least in the kingdom of God was the thief on the cross. Right? As far as I can tell, he hasn't really done anything good with his life. You don't just crucify common criminals, by the way. It's the worst of the worst. In fact, the word thief, in terms of this way, is... He's more than a thief. He's a plunderer. He has stolen in such a way that he needs to be made an example of. And yet this thief who says, I'm receiving what I deserve. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Instantly becomes greater than the greatest one to ever live. The nature of the kingdom is not for that of the great people but for the weak not for the strong and righteous but rather those for the desperate those that are weak those that are poor it's not based on merit right unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child you'll never enter it I love what Jesus said about the Pharisees Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not change your minds. I'm talking about John's ministry, not his doubt at this last bit. They heard, they believed. They realized that it's not about accomplishment as much as it's about mercy and grace and transformation. They understood that the center of the kingdom is not about the kingdom. Rather, it's about the king. Not about how good your place can be at the table, but rather how much you worship the one who is in the center of it. The nature of the kingdom is upside down. It doesn't make any sense. It's really the exact opposite of our world, isn't it? You know the way you rise to power? More beauty, more strength, more knowledge, more money. And yet Jesus is saying the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater. The nature of the kingdom is upside down. But so is the coming of the kingdom. See, that's really what John is struggling with, isn't it? Where is it? Verse 17, excuse me, Luke 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, this is the scripture we read he answered the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed nor will they say look here it is or there for behold the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's a parallel kingdom that began when Jesus came to earth and continues on today marching alongside the kingdom of the world it infiltrates It permeates. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and hid it in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Even now, this kingdom is moving, infiltrating throughout the world. See, John is saying, Make the kingdom of heaven happen now. And Jesus is saying, It is happening now. John wanted a quick kingdom. But it's been 2,000 plus years since Jesus walked the face of this earth. And He has continued to set up a kingdom. Slowly. Almost secretly. We tend to think about Pentecost and about the Ten Commandments being given and Jesus rising from the dead. But the truth of the matter is a lot, a lot, a lot. Centuries of Christian history. The Dark Ages. A thousand years of Christianity is a smoldering wick. Nothing's happening. You couldn't be more wrong. It's quiet. We want to set up a kingdom on earth to usher it in. But Jesus says it is not the time for you to know. But you will receive power. And you must witness The truth of the matter is if the kingdom of God had been inaugurated and consummated at Jesus' resurrection, we wouldn't even be there. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. And God has held off judgment because there is a remnant in every generation. Sons and daughters waiting to be revealed as as the kingdom continues moving in the heart's and circumstances of the world. Jesus said in Matthew a parable that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And when the plants came up, the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed? Where did this come from, these weeds? And Jesus said, the master, an enemy did this. Should we pull up the weeds immediately? No. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the the reapers, bind the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. The kingdom is advancing in ways that we don't fully understand. I don't know if you have this problem in your yard. I do. I curse them every day. I call it Bermuda grass. Anybody have Bermuda grass? Hate Bermuda grass. Some people have capitulated. You've given over your yard to that heinous weed, the uh, Bermuda grass. Not me. No, no. (laughs) And yet I cannot, despite all of my pesticides and fertilizers and hard work, stamp out this evil, vile weed. It's... I can't see it, you know, when spring comes. Got this beautiful fescue yard. I just want to lay on it or play golf on it, you know. Maybe set up a tennis court. And lo and behold, I wake up one day and there they are. See, the way Bermuda grass spreads is by these things called rhizomes. Spreads underground. And from these rhizomes, it sends out these feeders that create other rhizomes that send out other feeders. And it goes on and on and on. till one day you wake up and lo and behold, it's taken over your yard. You can try to kill it. I've seen people in frustration that pour gasoline on their yard and set it afire. In pure anger. But the rhizomes carry in the wind. And pretty soon, here it comes again. See, the kingdom of God is advancing though you may not be able to see it, it rears its head every now and then. So we must not fall into the same trap of believing, of wanting to usher in a kingdom that is not a kingdom of God. If you're tired of injustice, maybe. You're like John. You're not the thief. Put in my time, you know. It's time to reap the rewards. Maybe you're a Christian that experiences persecution and you're waiting for vindication. God, avenge my enemies. Show everyone that what I believe is the truth. Let's have the victory. Jesus is saying, I run the kingdom and I will do it by my means and my methods. So be patient. Don't try to grab the reins. Rather, Let me be in control and be a witness, a rhizome, an infiltrator, a seditious person for the kingdom of God as you, in your particular place, spread the gospel by such weak means as simply a conversation with someone. And finally, learn to enjoy the kingdom because the kingdom is not like bermuda grass now the kingdom is like fescue as it comes and permeates my life we've seen such unbelievable beauty come out of the darkness of our family and the situation of our son's passing doesn't make any sense and I'm not going to sugarcoat it certainly we are in the jail often but God takes weak things and makes them strong and ugly things and makes them beautiful and takes failures and makes them victorious Jesus kingdom is not like us Jesus message is different and so our final step is to participate in the kingdom day by day I don't think we put this last part in Uh, this is verse 31 through 35 And after the disciples of John had gone off, he said, To what shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John came, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said he has a demon. But the Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and you said he is a glutton and a drunkard. But wisdom is proved right by all of her children. Even now we share the gospel. Even now people say either it's a dirge, it's John the Baptist telling me how my life needs to change. Or this Jesus can't be taken seriously, I mean he's really just a teacher or someone that came on the scene. Certainly we can learn something ethical from him, but we're not going to dance to his flute the wisdom is justified and proved right by all her children. The kingdom is advancing. If you go to China, you'll see 25,000 people coming to faith every day. In the country where these people, Iran and Iraq, are being imprisoned for their faith, the gospel is exploding. And it continues on and on and on. We are the workers in the field it doesn't really make sense. I mean, how could God use us to change the world? Because God uses screwed up things like you and me. And so participate in the Kingdom. This church is a giant rhizome of a bunch of seditious people that have come together and God is raising it to be a place that the world marvels at are we willing to risk it all to be the church to participate in the witness we are the remnant and there will be a remnant after us until his kingdom comes in all of its fullness and there will be no mistaking when the king comes he came as the lamb and he will come as the lion so don't live by the rules of this world It's not your beauty. It's not your youth. It's not your power. It's not your relationships. It's not your girlfriend. It's that you are a citizen, a son and a daughter of the kingdom of God. And you no longer have to live by the same rules. Instead, live by your privileges, your responsibility, and the paradigm and perspective of who we are. And worship For as Paul says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I'm in. I like that kingdom because I qualify for it. And so do you, whoever you are. If you're not a Christian, this is your lucky day because Jesus takes people like you and makes them holy. Let's grow together and experience the fullness of Jesus' kingdom as it infiltrates the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message because the kingdom of God is the one we're looking for, not the kingdom of this world. Lord, we don't want religious revival for its own sake. Lord, we want you to be made manifest as king. Lord in whatever way shape or form at the top the corridors of power or at the bottom on the street Lord let your kingdom continue only let us grasp it in all its fullness that we can't see it let us hold on to it by faith and let us be your witnesses focusing not simply on the ending and what we're going to get but rather that you are with us already and you will never leave us or forsake us